Let's, let's begin with a, with a very short prayer. Dear Jesus, we sometimes get so occupied and busy with our lives that, that we feel burdened. Help us to see in you perfection and our rest and our substitute. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Time is a very precious commodity. In fact, we might even make the argument, at least from an economic supply and demand perspective, that time is our most precious commodity. Because, to put it simply, the prices of gold and and diamonds and oil, they go up and down as supply and demand go up and down. But here's the thing about time. The supply is completely inelastic. You won't find it growing on trees. You can't stretch it out from moment to moment. Here's the thing about the supply of time. It is completely perishable. It's more perishable than fruit because you can't store it up either from moment to moment. And the demand? The demand is at an all-time high. Everyone wants a piece of your time. God does. So does your spouse. So do your children. So does your job. And they actually pay a very high price. For your time. We might say that time is our most precious commodity. And and people know that. And springing out of this time is money attitude comes a whole industry of time management books. And, And I'll admit it, I have a whole bunch of titles sitting on my shelf. Here's one of them. The Hamster Revolution. How do you manage your email before it manages you? And then there's the ever-popular reads by Ken Blanchard, like the one-minute manager. And then there's the uber-popular, the power of focus, how to achieve more in less time. And then there's the pithy secular statements, like the one buried in the sermon title for today, saying no to say yes. And now here we are again on the very brink of what for many of us is the busiest time of year. School started again. The running the kids to school and picking them up again. And vacations are now a thing of the past and and sipping pina coladas on the beach. Well, that is now a distant memory because September's here. And so it makes sense that we would see Jesus this morning and meditate on all that He has done and on His perfection in the keeping of time. Listen to what Mark says about him. 
Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for them, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I'm just going to state the obvious. Jesus was a very busy man. The first phrase says it all about Jesus. He says, Mark says, very early in the morning while it was still dark. So what time was it? I got interested in this question. I dug into it. It turns out Mark uses a technical term here for the third watch in the night. In other words, somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus got, gets up. And then Mark says, exceedingly by night. So, I'm guessing that it was closer to 3 a.m. than 6 a.m. when Jesus gets up. <laughs> so, so Jesus, in summary, his internal alarm clock goes off somewhere around 3 a.m. Beep, beep, beep. And he jumps out of bed joyful and pumped up for the day to come. And we still haven't even talked about what he did the day before. If you have your Bibles open to this section, what you'll see is the day before was the Sabbath, and he began the day preaching. And then he expelled a demon. And then everyone crowded into Peter's mother-in-law's house. And he healed people. And he expelled demons. And he preached the gospel until late that night. How many hours of sleep do you think he got? Jesus probably didn't get that many hours of sleep, and so a late night for him turns into an early morning, all for the, for the purpose of, did you notice why he got up so early? To pray. People get up early for lots of reasons. They lose sleep for lots of reasons. Some people lose sleep for their babies. Some people lose sleep for the purpose of their work. Some people lose sleep to, to catch the red eye, but I actually don't know anyone who regularly loses sleep so that they can pray. But Jesus does that. He gets up early in the morning because nothing can put the priority of communing with His Father through word and prayer. Nothing can put it on the back burner. Nothing can stop Him from doing it. Even the powerful urge to sleep cannot stop Him. And so He gets up early in the morning to spend time with His Father. At least until... Peter stops him. 
See, Peter, when he notices that Jesus is no longer there, when Peter gets up in the morning, he notices that Jesus is gone. And so he forms a hunting party. And I say hunting party on purpose. This is no search party. This is not a search party looking to go out and find someone who's hungry or lost or who needs help. This is a hunting party because they mean to go and capture Jesus, change his priorities, and drag him back to Capernaum. If you really think about it, this is kind of rude. What happens? You picture it, Peter walks up to Jesus, and he's praying to his Father. He's having a spiritual moment. And Peter just interrupts him. Mark says, when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Peter's using an age-old tactic to motivate Jesus to do exactly what Peter wants him to do. Do you recognize what it is? Guilt. Peter Peter is saying, look, Jesus, everyone needs you. Don't you understand that? He tries to guilt Jesus so that Jesus will change his priorities. It really should have worked. And it's almost 100% effective on us, this guilt motivation. Think about what was waiting for Jesus back in Capernaum. Peter's mother-in-law's house had turned into a sort of hospital. And so waiting for Jesus back in Capernaum were the sick and the dying and the demon-possessed. And there was no doctor there. There there was no surgeon. There was no emergency room waiting for those people back in Capernaum. In a very real sense, Jesus was their only hope. Jesus was the only way that they would be cured. It should have worked Peter's guilt trip. And so what Jesus says next is actually one of the most mind-boggling things things that Jesus ever does. Notice how Jesus responds to Peter's guilt trip. He says, no, in a very evangelical way, he says, let us go somewhere else to the new nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus' response is very simple. Peter, you can't lay a guilt trip on me. You can't change my priorities. You can't, you can't convert me into a faith healer. Let me turn that off for a second. That's embarrassing. You can't turn me into a, a faith healer when I would be a preacher of the gospel to the poor in heart. Jesus had come to be a preacher of the gospel. He had come to be a king who ruled in grace. He had come to be a priest to sacrifice his life for the world. And no one, not even Peter, could get him to change his calendar. And so Jesus leaves behind a clamoring crowd. 
he leaves behind public acclamation. All for the sake of saying no to the urgent and saying yes to the more important. It would be easy for us this morning to to change this gospel lesson into a lesson filled with Christian principles for time management. We, we, we could talk about how, how Jesus shows us that we should spend prayer with our Father in heaven. And we should. We should be in public worship every week, and we should go to Bible study whenever we can. We could talk about how Jesus kept His mission of preaching the Gospel, and we too should preach the Gospel and we, we could talk about how Jesus teaches us that priorities are important and how we should learn to say no to the urgent and yes to the important. Because we know that if we don't learn how to do that, that our time will always flow to our weaknesses. And our time will always flow to the things that gain us public glory. And our time will always flow to the loudest voices in our lives. And so, yes, we should learn to use priorities. But these are just principles. And they are still not yet the greatest truth about Jesus, and they still haven't solved our greatest problem. Cheryl Sandberg, she is the COO of Facebook, and she gave a talk at TED's in relation to her best-selling book called Lean In. And she gives three principles for women who want to end up in the CEO's office. But she only alludes to what is the real problem in her talk. This is a part of the transcript. She says, and this isn't just a... A female issue. This is a gender neutral problem. Here's what she says. I don't have the right answer. I don't even have it for myself. I left San Francisco where I live on Monday and I was getting on the plane for this conference and my daughter, who's three, when I dropped her off at preschool, did the whole hugging the leg, crying, Mommy, don't get on the plane thing. This is hard. I feel guilty. I can relate. My daughter, Brooke, her very first phrase, she put two words together. I think it was her very first phrase. We can confirm with Amanda later. She said, Daddy, work? That's what she learned. Daddy, work, and there's the guilt. But this isn't just a missing parent thing, the parent who misses the dance recital of the daughter. And there's the guilt. This this is a young person who works so much that they can't care for their 
aging parents issue. And there's the gift. And, and this is a, a person who works so much that they don't have time anymore to spend time with their Heavenly Father. And there's the guilt too. This, the truth of the matter is if we actually see all the opportunities for service to our God and to our neighbor, we will, will realize that this is a spiritual tug of war that produces tremendous amounts of guilt. And this is a spiritual tug of war that will never get quite right. And that's why you didn't come here to hear me talk about secular principles of time management. You came here to hear the gospel. And Mark, he didn't write his gospel of Mark so that we could draw from it right ways of living. He... He wrote his gospel so that we would see in Jesus a perfect Savior. He is the one who attended to the sick and the demon-possessed all day. And yet they didn't own him. And this is the guy who tired himself out for his neighbor, but even so, he would not put on the back burner his relationship with his father. He was perfect in every way as our substitute. And this righteousness of Jesus is yours through faith. This perfect life becomes yours, a white robe in your baptism. Jesus is so much more than your example of a good time manager. He he is your prophet who says to you, all of this is forgiven by my sacrificial death. He is your king who comes to rule in grace. He is your priest who already at the beginning of his ministry is sacrificing sleep. And later He would sacrifice His life all for you so that we could deal with the real problem that has to do with our time, and that's guilt. And that it would go away. You came here this morning to go beyond saying no to say yes. Because you know this. Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who can, can turn our fleeting moments into eternity. Amen.